I sit in the passenger seat of my father's old rusty pickup as we fly through the highway among the towering trees and boastful mountains to our new home. David bobs to a country song on the old pickup radio. And then I see it. The unassuming, quite depressing, not at all interesting sign to enter town. Welcome, it jokes, to Three River Pass. It's just past 2 a.m. and the hospital barely seems to have calmed down over the last couple hours. My exhaustion is starting to set in from the day and sitting in the waiting room is not very comforting. I picture the first time I had been to the hospital. Five years ago, I was 11 years old, holding onto my father as he carried me to the ambulance. I still remember the taste of the blood that had gotten onto my face. The day that first word was engraved in my skin by that judgmental purple light beneath. I remember being rolled down the halls of the hospital as the word etched itself into my chest. Dallas Reed? Says a muffled voice behind the scene in my head. Takes only a moment for the trance of my daydreaming to subside. A woman in blue scrub stands at the door to the inner rooms of the hospital. Dallas, the doctor's ready to see you about your father. I nod and get up from the seat to follow her. She leads me through the double doors and motions me to a room near the back. Room F, right there. The doctor's inside. Thank you, ma'am. I stall for a moment by taking a deep breath before I go into the room, unsure that I'm ready to see what damage I've caused. My father's room is open. I can already hear him arguing with the doctor over something. His words aren't very clear, but his tone is unmistakable. Hearing him so spirited still eases my nerves. Maybe the damage wasn't that bad after all. Now you look here, Doc. I'm as healthy as a horse. I hear as I enter the room. An injured horse, maybe, replies the doctor dryly. David's look wasn't angry. He was never angry when he was sober. This look felt ashamed, like a child caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Is this your son, David? She was looking at the clipboard she had, and had given only the quickest of glances my way. Yeah, that's my boy. He announces dryly, as if I might tell her all his secrets. Dallas, right? Do you drink, Dallas? She asked, not bothering looking up from her clipboard. No, ma'am, I responded, making eye contact with my father again. Enough of that. I'm not old enough to be a ma'am yet. She raised her head to me. Your father is very lucky today. He got away with just a couple of fractures, and his alcohol level was above a .20, so I don't want to even imagine what it was before we tested him. He will need some of these bandages and some help bathing, I'm afraid. I'll have one of my nurses walk you through it. Is that okay? She finally takes a good look at me, as if to size me up. Dallas, can I talk to you outside for a minute? She motioned her hand to the door. Wait a darn minute! What are you going to tell him that you can't tell me? David protested. She chose her next words, carefully. Nothing bad, just standard procedure. I have to ask Dallas some questions that he may not be comfortable answering honestly in front of his parent. She started out of the room and put her hand on my shoulder to get me to follow suit. Once she had closed the door behind us, she shed her clipboard down on a nearby counter. My daughter says you were jumped today by those rosewood thickheads. Are you okay? Dr. Sands, I realize. You're Dakota's mom. She nods, taking a band-aid from a container. Hold still. Let me replace your band-aid. I had forgotten all about it at this point. Does your father drink often, Dallas? I was silent. I couldn't betray David like that. I shrugged in place of an answer. I'm not trying to get anyone in trouble here. I just want to make sure you are okay. 
Davos, you look like you can take care of yourself, but that man in there can't. I don't want to have to ask someone so young to take care of an adult, but you're going to have to for a bit while. She tore out the band-aid, placing some clear gel in the room as she talked. So I ask again, are you okay at home? Does your father hit you? No, never. Of course not. He's a good man. She nods, putting the new band-aid on. Does he drink every day? Again, I shrug. Almost in agreement. Dakota says you just moved here, and as it seems you have now experienced, it is not very safe on the west side of the bridge. Weird. Dakota had said something similar earlier, too. But to be honest, it looked nicer than this side of the bridge. New roads and sidewalks. Fancy-looking buildings. Here, take my number. If you need anything, call. I believe that your father is a good man, but even good men can have dot sides. You can talk to Nurse Lemon to learn the bandaging while I finish the paperwork to release your father. Dr. Sands heads back to my father after motioning to the other side of the room, where Nurse sat at a workstation. She was fixated on the television mounted in a corner of the ceiling. She had it switched on, and quite loud. Ready for a new season of Jinkies? Then get ready for our most mysterious puzzle yet, as we take you to the sister river towns of Rosewood and Stahl's Rest. These seemingly normal towns have a dark history. Every five years, these towns have unexplained and unrecorded string of murders, and as two of the oldest incorporated towns in the nation, what secrets do these sister sanctuaries hold? Find out live starting next week on a new season of Jinkies with me, Tina Matthews, only on Sci-Fi. Psst, as if. The nurse scoffs at the television, turning it off before noticing me. I didn't realize this town was haunted, I tell her. What, that? Just a bunch of Hollywood hubbaloo. Those deaths are just a myth. Nobody's ever met any of those dead people or their families. Fake news. I miss the next day of school. I never bothered to change out of the boxers I slept in as I spent the day reading and taking care of David. Until about a quarter past five when I hear a knock on the door. Being so far out as our home was, the sound was unusual. Even ominous. I take my time getting to the door. Looking around the room for my own peace of mind, I imagine who it could be. A hard knock again on the large old wooden door brings me back to reality. Slowly my hand goes for the doorknob as I check the side light windows to see if I can get a peek at the intruder. Sticking my head as close to the glass as I can, I try to angle my sight. My heart begins to race as I don't see anyone at all. Suddenly a face appears in the side lights from the other side of the door. The face is as close to the glass as my own, startling me. Dallas! Ah! Shouts the voice, following a short shout of my own. I fall back onto the wooden door. Sorry, did I scare you? Gee, you sure are far out here. I can't believe I'm finally seeing this house. Tom's will make it sound bigger and nicer. Dallas, I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of a dump. She continues as I get to my feet. I open the door, annoyed but relieved. Uh, hi, I'm Manic. Why are you in a tank top? Were you working out? What? No, no, I just didn't go to school today. So? Wait, that's what you slept in? You are still in your pajamas? You aren't sick. My mom told you about your dad. Dallas, you can't skip the second day of school. That's going to be like a world record. Anyway, I brought you your homework, and my mom asked me to give you this to your dad. She must have liked him. As soon as I told her I was coming, she insisted on cooking. She's never done that for a patient before. 
She hands me the container with a stack of papers on top. She's in the car. I better get back. Long walk to the car. Not a great architectural choice. Bye! She waves as she starts down the walkway. Hey! I shout. She turns to the sound of my voice. Thanks, Dakota. That was really cool of you. The smile she gives me fills my cheeks with blush. Stop skipping school! I'm not allowed to be friends with you! She chants wander down the path out of sight. I make sure not to miss any more days that week. As David heals, he really cuts down on his drinking and things actually start to feel normal. Unlike ever before, I had high hopes that I could move on from my past and possibly have a normal life. And I do my best to ignore that little voice in my head telling me it can't last. Dr. Sands started to come over regularly to check David. It made him happy and each smile promised that his demons, like mine, could be handled to the point where happiness was still an option. Unfortunately, I decided to think about all this during dodgeball in phase ed. The reminder of where I am is a literal smack to the head from a plastic red ball. I can taste the department store it must have been purchased from as it meets my face. Dallas, you're out! I hear Coach Tom's yell. It's our first day of actual phys ed and the glorious end to the movie marathons. I could see the siblings, Ryder and Raven, high-five as they laughed in my direction. Wake up there, cowboy! Ryder taunts from across team lines. Dude, you're hit! Get off the court, man! Gideon urges, taking a second to bring myself back to reality. I make my way off of the court to watch the rest of the game from the sidelines. I half expected a new word to find its way on my body, but slow had been there for some time now. It was time to get my head in the game. This is what I was waiting for after all. A chance to sweat. Sports were something I was actually good at. No lectures, no homework, just me in the field. When the next game starts, I'm back on the field and without thinking, my instincts kick in. Dodge after dodge, elimination after elimination, I feel on fire. The thrill of doing so well is addicting and feeds my competitive side. As the game progresses, only Giddy and I stand for our team. Raven and Ryder both stand with a couple of other students on the other side. The odds against us, but we hadn't lost yet. Gideon and I block a barrage of red balls and go in for the kill. We both get our targets. Gideon catches a ball from Ryder and I dodge a ball from Raven. Gideon, taking the opportunity to catch Raven without a ball to block, gets her in the shoulder. I dodge two balls to get to the end of the court to pick up a stray ball. As I get to it, Gideon is hitting the leg. It's just me now, and Ryder has another player with him. I block Ryder's incoming ball and leap over another. I take aim and take out Ryder's help. I can hear the girls from the sideline chanting my name, and it feels good. Look who woke up! Ryder jokes, pacing the other side of the court, ball in hand. I'm waiting for you, I tell him. One of us has to go first, and once they do, the other will have to be ready to dodge with no ball to parry with. If you can manage that part, then it becomes a competition of speed, and that was a race I could win. I throw my ball at Ryder, knowing full well he's going to block it. As expected, his ball goes flying straight at me now that I'm defenseless, but I'm able to move my head just in time. The closest ball to each of us now is center court, about halfway between us. We both lunge for it with everything we have. I beat him, grasping the ball for dear life. I lift it and let it fly towards Ryder. The victory is sweet, and I let myself celebrate with my arms in the air. I watch in joy as the word slow methodically unracks itself from my arm. A victory indeed. That's when I notice the room is now empty, apart from Gideon sitting in the corner when I see him. I shrug as if to ask where everyone went. Yeah, Coach Tom called for showers like ten minutes ago. I help Ryder up and the three of us make our way to the locker room. Most of the other boys are gone. 
The three of us spread out in the aisle of lockers and start to dress down. Dude, I thought I had you. Where'd you get so fast? Football man, years of it, I tell him. Hey, I helped, Gideon adds, and we laugh. I make my way down to the stalls to the showers, the towel around my waist, Gideon ahead of me. I'm trying not to look at the other guys as to avoid looking interested. I knew if I looked at their bare skin, I know from experience I wouldn't be able to resist reading their sins. And as Gideon walks ahead of me, towel only, I can see dark light emitting from his back in my peripheral. I feel guilty, but it doesn't keep me from looking more directly, ready to steal Gideon's deepest secrets from my own curiosity. But something is different. To my amazement, instead of words littering his body, pictures take its place, symbols, like, like detailed tattoos made of dark light. This isn't the first time someone's secrets deviated a bit from my own. Usually it was just the color that was different. People who didn't speak English, for instance, their secrets were in whatever language they spoke. Most people's words were written in golden light. Mine were written in purple. But this was completely different. This didn't look like any modern language. I wasn't sure it was a language at all. It shone in gray and white light. I could make out a moon, fire, a star surrounded in a circle. I moved closer to him, not picking up the awkwardness of the situation. He had started showering now and I, I was staring right at him. When he notices me staring at his back, he turns around putting his hand down to cover his lower half. What are you doing? Dude, stop looking at me, you fucking homo. Getting warned in a half-worried, half-joking tone. I meet eyes with him and I can't help but look at his bare chest. A stick figure made with harsh lines of hay glows on his chest down to his stomach. Dude, I'm serious! He says more angrily, likely upset I hadn't acted quick enough. No, uh, sorry man, I I'm not gay, I swear. I try to tell him, but he's already put his towel on and he's moving towards me. Hands out to push me out of the way. Instinctively, my arm goes out to catch his. It does, and in that moment, my streak of normality ends. I can feel the light from his body react as I grab him. It's as if his energy starts to flow into my own. I see and feel my eyes start to fill up with what looks like purple smoke. It feels like time starts to slow as I stare at Gideon through smoked colored eyes. When finally, I feel my legs lock. I start to fall to the floor when blackness hits me. A horrible laugh echoes from the darkness. I had fallen, but not onto the floor like I had expected, but into a dream world. I could see myself like some out of body experience. My vision was grayscale and my eyes bordered everything with the same strange purple smoke that filled my eyes. Gideon stood beside me, looking at me like he wasn't expecting to see me there. He wore all black and carried a stack of file folders. It was silent. That kind of silent you only get on a rare occasion when you wake up in the middle of the night or secluded and alone. The silence is broken by loud, thundering footsteps. Gideon passes the folders to me. I take them, not wanting them to fall to the floor. He runs for a nearby window and lifts it open. I hear the thunder and get louder and watch myself as I too head for the window. 
Gideon easily fits through with his slender frame. And as I get one foot through the window, I sense time is running out. I'm still holding the folders when a school administrator walks into the room. Her gaze is on me, trying to fit through the window. I've been caught, red-handed for a crime I didn't commit. Or, at least, I didn't think I was committing it. I hear no word from the administrator before I feel the smoke start to dissipate from my eyes. My vision returns and my body starts to feel normal again as I look up at the two boys towering above me. It was clear some time must have passed since I was knocked out as Gideon is now fully dressed. I notice Ryder has also finished changing as he, as he holds up some fingers to me. You alright, dude? Gideon said he fainted. I was just about to grab the nurse. How many fingers am I holding up? I didn't answer. Distracted by the immense burning coming from the words etched into my skin. I was used to them burning, but this was certainly more painful than usual. Luckily, it seems I managed to keep my towel on when I fell to the floor. Not getting a response out of me, Ryder bends down to help me up. Don't touch him! Gideon yells in a tone that confirms he is now terrified of me. Ryder recoils. I don't blame him. Gideon looks anxious. Had I tried to hurt him, it wouldn't have been the first time I might have hurt someone. Unknowingly. Dude, chill out. I'm pretty sure fainting isn't contagious. But gay is, Gideon says under his breath. What an idiot, I think. Ryder still reaches out to me. But I feel like I should be the one recoiling this time. What if I hurt Ryder too? If he touches me, am I going to faint again? He was trying to be compassionate, I know, but he didn't understand that evil that lived inside of me. After all, I didn't even understand the evil that lived inside of me. I interject. Uh, Noah, it's fine. I'm fine, see? I pick myself up and rest on my hands, awkwardly getting into a position where I can get up with one hand and hold my towel with the other. Uh, Gideon, I'm a... Sorry, uh, hurt, uh, did I, uh, to you? The sentence was almost nonsensical, but it didn't seem to matter as Gideon didn't seem to care what I had to say. Stay away from me, Cabron, he tells me before storming out of the locker room. It's not a request. It's a warning. It was like watching television, but in my mind, I try to explain to David. His gaze across the table over to Dr. Sands is not reassuring. Dallas, are you eating enough? I know you have a lot of pressure in high school to be fit and skinny, but my son's a good-looking dude. You don't need to starve yourself. The condescension is getting to me. Who was this guy? He didn't sound like David. David, I'm eating, I swear. I told you what happened. You just don't believe me. I saw marks all over Gideon's body. I mean, I've always been able to see stuff on people, but this was different. This was a losing battle and I knew it. I should have just kept my mouth shut. Dallas, do you look at boys' bodies a lot? I can't help but sit with my mouth open in awe. This isn't a sexual thing. Why are you guys trying to make this about vanity or sex? I wasn't staring at him that way. Well, you did like to play with dolls a lot when you were younger, and you seemed to always prefer Robin over Batman. What are you talking about? Robin is just way cooler than Batman. And those were not dolls. Those were action figures. X-Men. My voice rumbles with anger. Hmm. X-Men, he said, putting the emphasis on the men. Dallas, your father and I talked about it. He would love you if you were gay just the same. I'm doing my best not to be annoyed that she is here, but I snap and turn to Dr. Sands for the first time in the conversation. I don't mean to be rude, 
But why are you here? And why are you guys having conversations about my sexuality? I get louder. I like Dr. Sands. Really, I do. But what I didn't like was her trying to mother me. Hey now, don't you go starting on her. I called her because she's a doctor and my friend. And my son is fainting in the locker room at school. He defends her. His tone was clear. I pushed a button with David. You must really like her. No, no. Dallas is absolutely right. I, sh I shouldn't have come over. This is very inappropriate. Clearly, this is not a physical issue. It's psychological. That's not my field. She gets up and starts to grab her things. I'm going to go. I'll call you with this great doctor I know who specializes in adolescent trauma. I've heard great things about him. Dallas has been through so much. It's only natural with the passing of his mom and sister. You told her about mom? You told her about hope? Rage fills my head. Not only did David think it appropriate to tell a complete stranger about our past, but surely she would tell her daughter, and if she told Dakota, everyone would know by the time I woke up tomorrow. You told a complete stranger everything we left home for? Everything we try to forget about every day? Why did we even move? The only good thing about this shitty weird-ass town is that nobody knows us, and you ruined it. You fucked it up like everything else. All of a sudden you are sober? All of a sudden you want to be a good dad? Because of her? She's a doctor. You're a loser. You have no chance with her. Cut the bullshit. They both stand shocked for a minute while I catch my breath. Dr. Sands exits the room without a word. David and I can hear her path through the hallway and her exit through the front door. I wait and wait for David to say something, anything. In the past, he would be yelling right now. His sobriety made him unpredictable. I want to drink every time I think about what happened to your mom and sister. And I think about them every single moment of every goddamn day, except when I'm with her. Not the only one in pain, Dallas. I'm just looking for some relief, some happiness again before I die. I don't want to forget them. I never could and I never would. Just give me a chance to be a good dad. I promise I won't fail you like I failed them. He stood up from the table now and crossed over to the end of where I sat. He rests his hand on my shoulder before starting to walk out of the kitchen. Dad? I asked, trying to keep him from leaving just yet. Yes, son? He turns back towards me. You know this isn't the first time I passed out and had a vision. The night Mom and Hope died? My eyes begin to water as the memories flood my mind. I passed out before they died. I take a deep breath to regain control of myself. David had known I passed out that night. What he didn't know was what I saw when I passed out. That part, I had never told anyone. So you had a bad dream when they died. That doesn't sound too unusual, Dallas. He sat back down at the table, this time right next to me. I heard a voice, Dad, that night. A voice in the darkness told me I doomed them, that they were going to die because of me. He knew the part that happened next, that I woke up, and they were gone. It's my fault. He embraced me as I finally lost control of my emotions. Dallas, that's ridiculous. You were just a kid. You witnessed a tragic event that you have hidden from your memory. These things going on are just normal. You have too much time to think. You need a hobby, some friends. Go out for football again or something. He let go of me and I shake my head in agreement. You promise? 
Yeah, Dad. I promise as he gets up from the table. And you're going to that chiropractor. He announces confidently, leaving the room. Psychiatrist, I correct. Same difference. I had been to shrinks before. It had become routine after the murder of my family. I'd like to be clear, it's not that I don't respect therapy, but I feel like I had already come to all the conclusions and breakthroughs possible from my emotional episodes and trauma. It doesn't help that this particular psychiatrist, Dr. Safi, is particularly difficult to like. We drive to the Rosewood side of the river, which already has me nervous, not to mention the good doctor's condescending tone and lack of listening skills, which concludes in us, once again, somehow, on the subject of my sexuality. What do you think of other boys, Dallas? Your team, perhaps, in the locker room, or perhaps with your buddies, alone in your room. He sat in a typical lounge chair, one leg crossed over the other with a pen that he slowly chewed the cap off of. Sir, I'm not gay, I'll tell him matter-of-factly. I'm not sure why I'm even here. I don't need this. My dad just thinks I'm making stuff up in my head. He swivels in his chair before speaking. It's not unusual for a boy like you to turn to a sin like homosexuality. To distract your pain. Not having a mother figure in your life has created a void that you feel needs to be filled by being the feminine figure in your family. He's kidding, right? I'm not gay, you asshole. And if I was, I wouldn't be ashamed of it or feel sinful. I knew what real sin was. But it doesn't seem worth the energy arguing with stupid. That's interesting, I tell him, leaning forward in my own chair. It's interesting because, well, you know, Doc, I can read your sins. Oh, really? He says half-heartedly. It was clear he had already written me off as crazy, so let's have some fun. And can you read my sins? Right where I want them. You sure you want me to look, Doc? Might not be a great idea. People are usually pretty sensitive about their sins. All right, then. Have at it. Do your worst. He took my bite. I get up and walk over to his chair. May I take your arm? That's where I read them. Roll up your sleeve. I can see him roll his eyes, but he nods in agreement and rolls up his sleeve, revealing his sins clear as day beneath. The words radiate across his arm. The thief here on the inside of your arm. He grunts in amusement. <laughs> oh, look, and cheater right here across the side of your neck. He's silent for that one. Doctor, have you been cheating on your wife? I walk around to the other side of his chair and take his other arm. And look at this under your right arm. Homosexual. Looks like you haven't been completely honest with me, doctor. Or yourself. I guess we are both a couple of sinners in, eh? He pulls his arm away from me as if I was made of fire. And those are just the words not covered by your clothes. Who knows what else you're hiding? It wasn't like me to question authority. Or use my gifts for my own wants. It's becoming a running thing lately. Our time is up. He says, trying to hold back a fury. His face is hot and red. I'll save us both continued awkwardness by leaving the room the moment he notes the time. My father and I speak only once about the therapy session. My car ride home. So? I started. So? Repeats David. So, what did he say? I push. Well, he said he thinks you're okay. And that you could take care of yourself. And that he doesn't recommend further therapy sessions.
The next morning, I ride my bike to school like any morning, making sure to take my revised route through Star's Rest Forest instead of braving the preppy streets of Rosewood. I pull up to the high school side of Star's Rest University and start to chain up my bike. The campus is lively, loud even. Taking a second look around, I can see several students hurrying to get to the front steps of the main entrance. Looks like half the student body is already waiting to get inside. I can hear some of the girls giggle and chat in excitement as I wander toward the crowd. Under their breath, some boys are talking about how hot the woman at the top of the steps is. I have to agree as I spot her. Long brown hair, a beaming smile. The same smile she's had the last time I saw her. On television. At the hospital several weeks ago. It was Tina Matthews of the hit television show, Jenkies. She stands next to the school administration, an elderly white man in a very fine suit. I had seen him before walking through the campus. He could very well be the dean. The man steps up to the centralized podium on the top of the steps, motioning Tina Matthews, who was signing autographs and high-fiving students to join him. Students and faculty alike, I am proud to introduce to you a very special guest. You know her well. Ghost Hunter Extraordinaire and hostess of the award-winning television show Jinkies, Tina Matthews. The crowd erupts, but the speaker pushes through. And if having here today wasn't enough, I am proud to announce she is bringing her show Jinkies to our small town. Her camera crew will be filming through the town and here at the university campus, where her crew will be settling up their base camp. Students will need to return a signed permission slip that you will be given today at first period to participate in any filming. For staff, please know participation for you and students is strictly voluntary and any violation should be reported. He takes a deep breath. You could tell this was an obligation for him, not a pleasure. I'm sure they won't find anything nefarious or worthy of television in our little town but nonetheless, please treat our guests appropriately. With that, he turns around and sits down on the row of chairs behind them. Tina, looking around for direction, steps up to the mic. Thank you, President Hudson. What a charming introduction. She's diplomatic with her words, despite a general sense of frustration. The crowd chuckles. Of course, respect for the town of Star's Rest and the safety of its people are our top priority. We are here to celebrate the deep and interesting history of your town and culture. We want to hear from you, your story. We are merely a stage, and you are all the storytellers. If you seek one of our crew members with a jinkies armband throughout town, please feel free to stop them and share with you your story. If you do, you could appear on this season of Jinkies with me, Tina Matthews. The crowd roars and Tina shakes some hands, waving as she makes her way off the stage. Hey Dallas, isn't this exciting? Tina Matthews is such an inspiration. A real life female detective, like boom. Brain exploded, right? She walks next to me as we make our way to homeroom. Yeah, she's very pretty. Dakota frowns at my response. Really? Pretty? That's it. I laugh at her a bit. I mean, yeah, she's cool. I don't know. It's just, she's just an actress. She doesn't actually do the investigations or at the show, does she? A verbal gas leaves Dakota's mouth. <gasps> uh, yeah, of course she does. Tina Matthews is the real deal. She used to have her own single podcast until she got a TV offer. Oh, hey, before I forget, my mom wanted me to invite you to our neighborhood barbecue this weekend. Really? She said that? 
Was she trying to make up for being at our house the other day? Surely she told Dakota that I yelled at her. Did she say anything else? Like about when she came over? Dakota looked me up and down. What? Did you hear her head again? My mom never went to your house. Did you? Wait. She tells me everything. Of course she didn't. She looked me up and down for reassurance. All I can manage is an awkward face. Oh my god, she did. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't she tell me? Was she scoping you out? I told her you were in a love interest. I mean, no offense, but we have become much too close for that. I love Dakota for comments like that. She already considered me a close friend, and honestly, she kind of had become my only friend. Not exactly. I, I think she was there to see my dad. Dakota's eyebrows raised. Let's not speak of this again. Anyway, seriously, I feel like we don't ever get to hang out outside school. It's on the other side of the university. They've rented the circle. Uh, sure. Okay, I'll be there. We've entered the classroom now. Dakota hands me a small invitation before taking her seat. I generally don't get myself into social gatherings, but this looks pretty harmless, and, and David was right about one thing. I need to get out more. After homeroom is math. It drains my brain, and I can't wait for the mental break of his ed. Dressing down is a bit awkward after fainting the other day, and Gideon freaking out on me. I do my best to pick up a spot far from the other guys and not too crowded. I hide in the bathroom stall a bit so I don't have to be in the locker room too long. Gideon is giving me these death stares and covering himself to a ridiculous amount like I care. Please, I think. In my peripheral, I can see the shining of symbols still from his body. But then something even more interesting happens. Ryder walks by shirtless and I see marks on him. Just like Gideon's, they're gray instead of purple like mine. And like Gideon's, I can't make out any words. Just pictographs. I don't want any more attention this week so I don't look long and start to leave the locker room. But as I exit, I see another boy with markings. And another. Why, I guess about one in five of the boys in class have similar markings. What makes these guys special? I try to commit one or two of the symbols to memory to look up later before dashing completely out of the locker room. Something weird is going on at Star's Rest Academy. Hey guys, Michael North here. Thank you for listening to the episode. Please, please, please show me your support by leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or subscribing to the pod. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter where you can track my other projects and my LGBTQ superhero novel coming out March of 2021. That's at Michael North with a 1 instead of an L in Michael. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-1-N-O-R-T-H. Bye!